Hi, welcome to Botanical, a podcast about California native plants. I'm your host, Matt Marcure, and today we'll be looking at Escholgia californica, more commonly and more easily pronounced as the California poppy, or maybe the golden poppy. Now, this plant you may think needs no introduction. It is commonly known to be the state flower of California. It is easily recognizable with its fiery gold orange. And if you're in the state of California, you'd be hard-pressed, honestly, not to see one of these plants if you don't see it in someone's garden because it's a very common and popular and easy-to-grow garden plant. You've probably seen it grow wild on maybe along the highway, along a country road, maybe even in your neighborhood. Just You see it growing uh, in the crack of the pavement. And in visual culture and even in written media, it's easy to see how the poppy has become essentially a metonym for the Golden State. Yet what's fascinating is that this potentially could be somewhat circumstantial. So how deeply connected is the California poppy to the development of California and to its history before it being a state? And where is it in relationship to us now? Is it just a wildflower or is there a future with us and the California poppy? We'll get to all of this after the jump. take you to a Russian expedition ship called the Rook. It's the year 1816. It's coming off the coast of Alaska down to California. And I'm sure you're already wondering, what does a Russian expedition ship have anything to do with the California poppy? Well, the ship was heading down to San Francisco, and it was under the command of Lieutenant Otto von Kotzbu. In his company, there was a naturalist, Adalbert von Chamiso and he is the first person to have described the california poppy and in a move i don't quite understand but nonetheless it's amusing he with the burden of naming it he decided to honor his friend and colleague on the ship jf eschultz who wore the curious hats of being both the surgeon and the entomologist. And what you might have picked up is that his name is Eschultz. There's a harsh T there because there's a TZ in his name. But in the Latinate name that Chamiso coined, there is no T. It's Eschulzia. It sounds smoother. It's nicer on the ear. And it makes me wonder if Chamiso was wanting a more mellifluous, flowery sounding name, if he was, you know, a poet somewhere in there beneath his naturalist inclinations are if he just really didn't know how to spell his friend's name um Arfush is a little over his head i'm not quite sure so shortly after this actually was when seeds were first collected and brought to europe now who the first person was who did this i'm not quite sure there's two names i came across so first i'll say the scottish naturalist botanist and also surgeon i think maybe this is just something that 19th century people just kept in their pocket you know just in case they needed a backup um, but this, his name was Archibald Menzies. Um, there's another person in 1826, so about 
10 to 6 years after the first description of the California poppy. And uh, his name was David Douglas. And he collected seeds from a southern Oregon population of California poppies for the Royal Botanical Society of England. And this established early on the California poppy's popularity in the world of horticulture and has cemented itself as an enduring plant for the garden, um, not just here in California, but honestly the world over. And there are a lot of different cultivars produced by horticulturalists for varying colors, our varying stems, certain characteristics that the horticulturist wants to see and that they create. Um, and some cultivars have even won the Royal Horticultural Society's Award of Garden Merit. And you might be wondering, a southern population of Oregon, how can that be? Well, so let's go into talking about the distribution of California poppy. So it actually encompasses a geographic area that can be found within, broadly speaking, the Pacific Slope. So generally, it is found native in grassy areas, open areas that range from sea level to about 2,000 meters in elevation. And to break that Pacific Slope down, which really just means majority of the Western United States, that's California, that's Oregon, that's South Washington, um, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, um, even into Mexico, like in the Sonora Desert area and Northwest Baja. So that is a huge, huge distribution area. It is distinctive for its flower. We'll just give a quick breakdown. So the flower consists of four petals um, with many stamens in the center. Before the flower blooms, it has a distinctive pointed bud, which almost looks like top of like a Russian castle or maybe a closed umbrella or something like that. The stem and leaves are glaucous, which is just a fancy way of saying that they have a really nice blue-green. It's actually one of my, it's a, one of my favorite colors. It's really beautiful. Um, and it is generally, the leaves of the plant are generally considered to be fern-like. I personally have never really saw this, and for me it's always been easier to imagine them being like carrot tops. The leaves are both basil and colline, which is just kind of a, I'll break that down, uh, it just means also just usually means that the leaves are coming more from the base. And colleen means that they come from the node or stem at the top of the plant, so higher up. So let's go more into talking about them being an annual and a perennial. So this really just depends upon the conditions that they're experiencing. And if you see them in bloom, which if you drive around Sacramento Valley area right now, you'll definitely see these in bloom. I just bring up Sacramento Valley because specifically here, they bloom from mid-March to about the month of October which is a really long flowering season. And they can be an annual or perennial, largely just based on the winter. So if it is a mild winter, the poppy can actually persist as a fleshy taproot. It'll just stay in the ground and it'll just pop up um, again the next season to flower. And if it is in a harsher winter area where it's just a little bit too cold for it, it will recede itself and it'll just come back as a new plant the next season. And this brings up the fact that the California poppy is wildly adaptive for a wildflower. It does not do great under competition. It really can't outcompete other plants for resources. But what it makes up for that is with its adaptability. And almost any type of habitat you can imagine, and it can do foothill, can do the desert regions, can do coastal, um, and it can do okay in areas that are mildly disturbed. Um, if it's really disturbed, it's probably not going to do super great. A couple might pop, um, but if there's not that much light, 
there is a competition for water, the population maybe not will not go away completely. It'll just dwindle. Yeah, there won't be a huge outburst of poppies. With this said, they do well recovering from freezes. They can tolerate high temperatures. Um, they do well in drought. And yeah, they can tolerate so many different types of different soils. This reason also makes them uh, possible invasive outside of their natural environs. There is one subspecies I want to talk about, and that is Ascholgia californica subspecies mexicana. And this subspecies was possibly isolated from the, the main species about 7,800 years ago, like the last glacial period. And this one is specifically adapted to the desert, so it does well in a little bit higher temperatures, less water, um, and it can be primarily found in the Sonoran Desert. And this brings to mind a somewhat a kind of funny story regarding Edwin Lee Green. He was the first botanist at the University of California system back when there was just UC Berkeley. He personally named a total of 116 new species, of which also included subspecies and different varieties, but only eight of those distinctions that he named are still recognized. And what kind of makes this even more comical is that in one of his books about him distinguishing these different Sholgia californicas from each other was that there were different classes of people who, those who maybe couldn't see differences at first, and then those who could, and then had to let the first class know what they were so that they could then see them and remark upon them. And then there was a third class that just couldn't see differences at all. And presumably he was in that second class, the one who could see differences. But really, maybe he was in that first or third class. Just a strange little story I came across in my research on the California poppy. I talked about this in the fried egg flower episode, but I want to talk more about how the California poppy became declared the state flower. So on December 12, 1890, the California State Floral Society wanted to pick a flower that they could nominate for the state flower. And they had three that they chose. That was the California poppy, uh, the fried egg flower, or also known at the time there, the giant poppy, um, and then the mariposa lily. Now, just real quick, I just, I looked more into this and I saw the voting for at this event and i just can't believe that the romnea cultura the friday flower not a single vote and then the mariposa lily got three and then i don't know how much the poppy got there. all the literature i see on it it says it won an absolute landslide but what, what, what happens friday flower i don't understand and this was largely due to the efforts of sarah Plummer lemon she was a botanist who was born in new gloucester maine she went to school in both Massachusetts and New York. She actually came to California in the 18, late 1860s for health reasons. She opened a book and stationery shop. Um, also, just all this I'm getting from the UC Jepson archives from UC Berkeley. Um, they just have some of their documents, which they say they have 10 linear feet. They're like their collection of their papers both of her of her papers as well as her husband's papers extend 10 linear feet. I never knew that was a way to describe a, the extent of one's collection. Anyway, so she, she moved out of Santa Barbara, and then she met John, who was another botanist, and they went and explored all of California. They explored Arizona. And I bring up John Lemon, uh, her husband, because he became the state botanist for California State Board of Forestry in 1888 and 1892. Um, and in this time, Sarah led the movement to have the California poppy be the state flower. So we know that in 1890, December 12th, like I said, 
there was the voting, but it actually didn't become uh, in the legislature that the California poppy was a safe flower until 1903, where it also became protected, um, and you can't pick it if it's on state property, just as a note. So we've talked a lot about how the California poppy has been transmuted to a horticultural wonder, how its adaptability as a plant has led to its success. Perhaps one of the most interesting components of the California poppy, and one that isn't really talked about too much, um, is in its ethnobotanical history, and honestly, in its potential in modern medicine. The California poppy, to the Americans, was a plant, if you will, of many different colors. It was both a food, the leaves could be eaten raw, or it would be cooked um, and eaten as a vegetable. Uh, leaves were also used as a toothache remedy. It was turned into a decoction from the flowers um, to kill lice in the hair. It would be rubbed into the hair. Juice was collected from the roots and was used as a wash for headaches. But perhaps my favorite of all these was uh, flowers would be collected from the poppies and they would be laid underneath the bed of a child to help them go to sleep. And from... The research I did on the American Ethnobotany Database which was largely done by the Kosanoans, and I gotta say, that just sounds lovely. I don't know if you've ever touched a poppy, but it is incredibly smooth. It feels like silk. So laying on a bed of those petals just sounds wonderful. Um, but also using the term sedative brings up the fact that the California poppy is indeed part of the Papervaceae family and is distantly related to the plant that is used to produce opium. However, the California poppy has no addictive qualities to it. It is not an opiate. It does not have those same chemicals. However, it curiously does have, it has alkaloids that have a similarly narcotic effect. But the California poppy is actually used in modern medicine, believe it or not. It can be taken internally to treat uh, tension, like nervous tension, it can be used to treat anxiety. Um, specifically, it seems to be treated or used in treatments for insomnia. And something I was fascinated by is that there is a WebMD page for California Poppy, and there are user reviews, people having various luck um, with it. Some people swear by it, saying that it makes them, censors them, brings them to a really good calm, or help them with um, some pain they're experiencing. One person said it was not, it was just as if they were drinking water, it did nothing for them. Although, just to critique that statement a little bit, I mean, water does a whole lot for you if you, if you if you drink it. But there was a report that I saw that was interesting because it doesn't seem to necessarily be like a narcotic or a traditional soporific, but rather it seems to normalize psychological function. It's really interesting. It doesn't seem like there's too much um, research into it at the moment, at least from what I could find. Um, but what I did see seems to point towards a promising future for the... California poppy as a plant to specifically help with um, anxiety, uh, which honestly in this modern era and in this time of the COVID pandemic is really important. Um, so it's interesting to see where the California poppy goes in modern medicine um, or if it will be reclaimed to become part of like a pharmacopoeia, something like a garden of um, medicinal herbs or part of uh become part of like a homegrown apothecary 
So I hope as you've gone along with me in this episode, you have seen the California poppy is more than just a wildflower, more than just a sage flower. It is a flower that actually holds a lot of interesting history. And I want to leave you with this detail of the California poppy. In in the evenings and on cold, overcast days, particularly when it rains, California poppies will close up their flowers um, and wait for another warmer, more pleasant day. And like that, I hope Botanical returns like a poppy, um, closing up shop just for a little bit, but hopefully not for too long, and we'll come back just like before, but hopefully a little bit sharper, a little bit brighter, and ready to learn and inspire engagement with native plants. So for all of you who have followed along with me this season, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to the future.